In this episode, Yves Doucette and I dive deep into living a life of authenticity and meaning, and he shares many practical tools that can help us become our best selves. A few key topics include shifting from the pursuit of more to the pursuit of meaning, how to become the master instead of being the victim, the mindset of innovation and how to break through your creative limitations, and how to open the door of possibilities and live your most authentic life. I hope you receive as much value from this conversation as I did. And without further ado, another uninterrupted episode of the Stu Murray Podcast. Eve, it's a pleasure connecting, man. It's been a long time. I've always really enjoyed our moments together and ever since we've been spending time back at the yoga studios. So thank you for taking the time and I'm really looking forward to dive in. My pleasure, Stu. It's always been a pleasure talking to you as well. And I remember those days, they were fun days. Yeah, fun days at yoga studio. Yeah, yeah, they certainly were. Yeah, so it, I yeah. just want to get right into it. What is so important about having the right mindset as we bring that into our professional workplace day to day? Why is that such an important thing? We were just talking pre-recording about people in your workplace really highlighting that as the number one tool. And why is that? Well, we, yeah, what happens is we ask the question, we ask our team, what is the number one thing that you need? What is the tool, the number one thing we can provide you that would allow you to do your job? What's the most important thing? And by far, the most important thing was a place that we can have the right mindset, a place that we can be trusted, heard, listened to, that what we say mattered, that our work mattered that we're working in this together. Not that everything we say is going to be useful, but that at least we can all try together and we'll all do something together and we'll all discover something together. Now, we run a software company, right? It's like we make our money innovating. That's what we do, right? So what, like you, we met in the yoga studio, like I practice yoga every day. So what does that have to do with software? Well, that has everything to do with software because you cannot innovate if you're not in the right mindset. If you're always scared of your boss, that he's, that you can't tell him that you like you're, you're late in your deliverables or you're stuck somewhere and in software development, we'll do standing meetings. We'll say, what did you do last week? What are you going to do next week? And where are you stuck? And if you can't have enough trust to trust the person, the team to say, I'm stuck here. I need some help. We'll talk about well mental wellness here. If you cannot mm. say to the person in front of you, I'm stuck and I need some help right? Well, nothing's going to move. No innovation happens. No creativity happens. The project stops. And it, if the person doesn't trust you as the organizer, as the owner of the company, if they don't think that you have the best interest of, heart, of all the community, yeah, nothing's going to move. So we spend a lot of time marketing our way, selling ourselves and behind closed doors doing the opposite. And that doesn't work anymore, Stu. There's no mm -hmm. more closed doors. Everybody knows what you're doing, what you want. People smell this thousand miles away, right? And if you think you can hide behind the fact that you're saying, well, I'm giving you a raise, right? So you can work harder. People smell that. They smell that. They know that you're just manipulating them, right? And especially your generation, like you can't fool them. You just can't. They just see right through you. So if you don't have the proper mindset from the top down, yeah, you're going nowhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's wild. I couldn't agree more. And I think 
you're right. The BS meter is getting stronger and stronger and people are looking for something a lot more than a good paycheck in a place that they can go to that provide security. So there's obviously been a paradigm shift in the workplace. And some words that you mentioned that really stood out were like feeling valued, feeling important, and being able to be heard. Like, Why are some of these things so important for creating that right workplace environment and contributing to that mindset? Well, <clears throat> uh, a few good books to read. You start with that, right? Man Search for Meeting from Victor Franklin, uh, Speed of Trust, great leadership books, two of the books I would recommend. So if you want to move a company faster and, and not whip, like I don't whip, we don't whip people. People come to work and they want to work and they work hard, right? The biggest problem we have at work, like this is what we have at Dovaco, you have unlimited holidays. The employee can take as many holidays as they want. Yeah. And the, you know what our biggest problem is? that they don't want to take holidays. <laughs> yeah. No way. And they feel guilty wow. when we take holidays. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they share that. Like one of the team leads said, they would say, I was, I had to stay home because I was sick and I, I felt really bad because we had a, like a software release to do. And I, I felt really bad to, to call in sick, but I had to. So I called in sick. Right. And then I was watching everybody on Slack. I was watching them like deliver the stuff just, and it made me feel like as if it wasn't important. It made me feel also very happy that I didn't need to be there and they had my back. Right. Mm -hmm. So why is that important? It's important because Victor Franklin said invest, the man search for meaning. Like every human on this planet is searching for meaning. And we think the search for meaning means that we want to be rich. Mm -hmm. Right. If I have enough of this, I'll be fine. Right. When I have this outcome, I'll be fine. When I have a house, I'll be fine. When I have this nice paying job, I'll be fine. When I get married, I'll be fine. When I find my spouse, I'll be fine. When I finally reach a million dollars, I'll be fine. But that's not the issue. As soon as you reach that goal, million dollars house, you set your goal to another place because you're looking for something of meaning. And in Victor Franklin's word, the meaning of life is to live. Yeah. And if you are not heard, right, if people don't care about you, they don't care about what you do, they, you don't care that you're discovering something, they don't care about how you, how you are, right? If you have no meaning in your workplace, you have no meaning in your life, no matter how much money you pay. Yeah. And you're not going to drive anybody forward, right? I agree, man. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at, you know, number one thing, I'm a dad, I'm a dad, I'm a grandparent. And then number one thing, that I've learned about that, 90% of my job is to show up and listen, 90%. And it's the same thing for a business owner. It's the same thing for being a coworker. 90% of all relationship is to show up and listen. 90% of the work. We don't do that. We're too busy saying what's in our head. And there's no space for you to speak. If I'm filling the whole podcast with my words and we don't have a discussion, well, it's a speech. It's not a discussion. It's not a podcast. I'm giving a speech, right? Yeah, totally. Well, then on that note, because I actually, I remember when Victor Frankl is talking, he says, even in these concentration camps, mm -hmm. community and camaraderie can be found. Yeah. Find these breaking off that stale piece of bread, that little bit of ration to give to somebody else and recognizing that even when everything else can be taken away from us, we still have our ability to choose in that moment. And we have 
our ability to tap in to our mindset, to the freedom that exists in us at any given time, which is amazing. And I think of then of a workplace and our ability to create the conditions where somebody can feel free to choose to be there and know that they're choosing to show up because they're part of a team. They're contributing to something bigger than themselves. And that obviously, you know, in, in the idea of giving people unlimited holidays, you th- the traditional mindset say, well, people would abuse that and take advantage of that all over the place. And obviously you've found that's not the case at all because what you've created is a place where belonging can be found. And I'm curious when you say showing up, what does that look like? How do we create a space practically to be able to actually listen, to be able to really show up? What does that look like to you? For me, it looks like this, right? First is you focus on one thing. And that usually focuses on the person in front of you, right? Focus on that one thing. And if you're having a relationship with someone, it's that person in front of you or whatever you're doing, one thing. And then create some space. Yeah. So create space for that one thing. And so what does it mean to create space? It means to shut up, to speak less, speak less, say less, be intentional with your words. Right. So, so when you're creating space, you're allowing other people to join into your community. That's what it means to show up. And they say really uncomfortable asking one question and staying uncomfortable in that question. Not like jumping to the next thing, just staying in that question, coming back to that question, seeing really like, you know, what's there for that question and then going to the edge of that question. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, you're going to discover some sort of flow, some sort of possibility. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, these are five pillars and they're called Drishti, Ujjayi, Bandhas, (laughs) Tapas, Asanas. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I've just translated that into leadership program, right? So focus on one thing, drishti, one thing, yoga, we practice that. Take one step, just focus on one thing and then create so that everything else becomes blurry, but that is one thing. And in that detail of that one thing, there's transformation in that detail. If that person in front of you is that focused, then you are focused on that person, every embodiment of it. Okay. Now creating space comes in. You're going to have a thought about that person, right? You let that go. It's not real. You let that go. You stand comfortable in creating a space so that all the energy, all the things, all your thoughts go away until there's nothing there. You stand comfortable until there's no thoughts that you have with that person, but you're really there. And then something will appear. You go on the edge. You'll have a question. You'll have a deeper understanding. You'll lean in. When you do that, when you focus on that person and you keep quiet and you get out of your thoughts and you stand comfortable longer than you ever stayed before, I guarantee you there'll be a transformation. And that Mm. transformation is going to get closer and closer and closer into the people that you want to be close to. So what does that mean for an organization or a family or your life? It means that you're building connections, right? You're building trust. You're building meaning, right? So, you know, what Victor Franklin was saying is like, he focused on breaking your bread. And then he found something in there that was so amazing, right? Tasting the bread or having a piece of bread. It's that simple. So that's why the biggest tool you could ever give anybody is the freedom to choose where they're going to put their thoughts. 
their attention, their energy. And then once you've incorporated that into your workplace of the ability to be mindful of your thoughts and your energy with the people in your workspace, well, there's less this and there's more this. And if there's more this, everybody's pulling the canoe in the right way. Nobody's trying to pull the canoe the other way, right? Nobody's sitting in the canoe being pulled. Everybody's pulling the canoe. And there's not one person doing all the lifting. Everybody is pulling the canoe. So does that work better? Yeah, it does. Yes. And it's oh, easier, yeah. right? It's easier. Clearly. Yeah. That makes me think of sports teams. You know, highly effective sports yeah. teams are always working together and working in the same direction and have to get uncomfortable, get onto that edge of showing up at practice, showing yeah. up early, doing the things that people don't want to do is what makes the most successful sports team than doing it cohesively, doing it with coherence, doing it where they're able to hold each other accountable to the values and to the vision that they want to do, even when it might be easier to sleep in, even when it might be easier to go and take the snack or not have that hard conversation. But it's clear that uh, the leaders, from what I've learned, is not somebody who occupies that position of hierarchical authority, but really somebody who helps bring out the best in people and processes. Yeah, so if you go out to most organization, the leader speaks first. Mm. The leader speaks most. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about staying uncomfortable and speaking less. Mm -hmm. Staying uncomfortable and going to the edge, resisting the fact that you have the answer. Resisting mm. the fact that you know it all. Because if you know everything, you're not a leader, you're a tyrant. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> Like, you know, everything you have the answer there. Wow. Yeah. And terrible things have been done with people who think they know everything. Terrible things have been done when you think you have the answer. And to be honest, like Stu, like, I don't know about you, but I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I'm excited for it. I'm 64. I'm excited to see what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't wait. Like every minute of every day, there's something that's going to happen. And I have no clue. Yeah. And I love it. I love that having no clue, right? And that's the world we want to live in. It's the world of like in the concentration camp, Victor Franklin was basically finding joy in the most subtle and smallest of things. I would call that a quantum shift, right? So, you know, you can get angry. You can get angry in a second. Like you're triggered. You get that phone call from, I don't know, Revenue Canada or somebody, right? Lots of money or somebody like judging you. I don't know if you've been to that place where people are judging you, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. I, that happens to me all the time. Once in a week, I'll get, somebody will judge me, right? What happened? What did you do that for? I said, I don't know. I'm a human. I made a mistake, right? And I laugh about it and they laugh about it. I'm not taking it seriously. But as soon as I say that, I made a mistake. I'm a human. Yeah. Why did I do that for? I don't know why I did that. But maybe it was wrong. What is it wrong? What, what was it for you? So yeah. when you start having a conversation with a human, Without being defensive, or you're leading, you're mm. in discovery of something with that person. And I've used this to get myself out of my mess that I was in my lawsuit with dealing with predators. I've dealt with customers. I've dealt with my enemies this way, right? The enemies that wanted me dead. I've done like people wanted me dead. I, like I was surprised, but yeah, well, not physically dead, but you know, to hurt maybe. Yeah. And I've used wow. the same practice, basically mm -hmm. just apply these five pillars and then you have a possibility for a quantum shift. What I mean from that is I know I can get 
happy to angry really fast. Can I get angry to happy really fast? Mm. Like shifting on command. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be triggered. I want to be happy right now, joyful right now. I want to be in discovery right now. Can you do that? When you are able to do that as a human, like quantum shift that energy, that feeling that you have in an instant, what you're doing is you're saying to my body, I'm going to produce dopamine, oxytocin, right? I got to get rid of the cortisol all in my body. I'm going to balance, right? Like you're doing a tree, you're balanced, you're in equanimity. And when you're in equanimity and balanced, you can choose anything you want, right? And once you're there, you have all the possibilities, all the possibilities are available. But if you're angry, you have one possibility. Right. And that's the one thing that you see. That's it. There's no other possibilities when you're reacting to life. So if you're leading by reaction, by fear, what you're telling your people is we only have one solution to our problem. That's what you're hmm. telling people. And you better hurry up wow. and find it because we're all going to die. And, but if you're leading with trust and you're leading with balance and equanimity and love, you have all the possibilities. Well, that's innovation. And I'm in the business of innovation. That's what I do. Make my money at it, right? Yeah. So that's what I am pursuing. How do you create innovation? Well, that's what my book is about. It's about becoming innovative for yourself. The first book I wrote, I sent it to 10 people. One of my friends was a lawyer. And I gave it to 10 people. Nobody came back and said, it was 800 pages. It was a long book, right? It's a big book. And they read it. I checked back. Yeah, they read. Nobody, nobody gave me one comment. I was getting anxious. So I asked my friend, the lawyer, I said, what do you think? He said, there should be a law against you writing a book. <laughs> and I was pissed. So I, what I did is I said, okay, I'm going to write the book again. So that's what I did. I wrote the book again. One more time. Whole book. And I gave it again to 10 people, including my friend. And I asked him again. And he said, there should be a law against you writing a book. And I realized that the book was not well written because it was written from a place of fear and anger. I was so angry at the person that fired me that I sued them. And when I lost, I wrote a really bad book about him. Mm. And it was really badly written because there was only one outcome to that book, fear and anger. Wow. Right? Wow. And this time I wrote this book, I gave it to 10 people. And 10 people came back and they said to me, you have to publish this book. No way. Actually, what they asked me is who wrote the book? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I'm curious. I wanted to ask you about innovation quickly and then move into this new book that you wrote and kind of how that all came to be. And before we dive into the book, I'm curious about innovation because you've talked so much and shared some really practical, juicy nuggets around how to listen, how to hold space, how to create that workplace culture and, you know, avoid going into that fix it mindset and really allowing us to, to sit in that discomfort, to create the spaces where we can be vulnerable and grow. And I'm curious, what about innovation? How, any thoughts on practical strategies? I know you've shared quite a bit already as you're in the mind, game and the mindset around it, but you know, I'm thinking of like even Google who offers that 20% of their time to be able to do creative pursuits of their own. What kind of strategies do you have at your workplace that really, in addition to boosting that mindset and creating these environments, really 
create that innovative culture that allows you guys to be at the top of the game. Okay. So innovation, it's interesting because if you understand how a thought is created, right? How do you get to do an action? You'll understand that all your thoughts comes from an experience you've had in the past. So life presents yourself today as it is going to present itself. You have a reaction to life. You have a challenge to life. In that reaction, you come up with a solution, a thought, and that thought turns into a doing. In that doing, you deliver something. The innovation is not in the thought. The innovation is in the doing. It's in the doing that you're going to actually discover something new. And if the doing is something you've been doing too many times and you don't push yourself to the edge, you'll discover nothing new. So innovation happens from the inside when you create a moment of presence. That's when the word innovation comes from in, inside, innovate, something new, right? Sure. And the new comes from in the moment, innovation, in the moment, there's something new. That's where the word innovation comes from. In the moment, there's something new. So if you're doing the same thing over and over again, and you're not going on the edge, you're not innovating because you're not discovering something new. What you're doing is repeating the same life over and over again. So let me give you an example. When the pandemic hit, I was teaching at a yoga studio that closed, right? No more studios, I, just a yoga studio example. I'll tell you why I teach yoga, by the way. It's totally related to, related to software, totally. And I'll explain that to you as well for innovation. So then I said, okay, I got to teach yoga. Well, geez, I don't want to teach yoga. Where can I teach yoga? There's nobody. So I went online, right? And I went right on Facebook and did a Facebook live teaching yoga. Here I was. Was that scary? You bet. Yeah, it was scary. Did I want to do it? No, I didn't want to do it. Did I learn something? Yes, I did. And then I started to teach regularly online. I said, okay, well, I got to do it more regularly. So it's five days a week. Okay. Then that became not edge, right? Okay. What's the edge that I do now? Well, recently in the last six months, what I've been practicing is I start the class when the students fix us and I'm all online. One of the students picks a song. We played a song. And then the students will pick three words or two words that resonate with them. And I will theme the your class, that your class with that song, with those three words. So no today, our theme was, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, our theme was love yourself. That was a theme. It was really a good class. Theme after an inquiry of, well, what is in resistance of loving yourself? Well, go to the edge yeah, like that. Go to the edge towards something you haven't done. You'll love yourself. It was a whole theme based on that. So why do oh, I wow. do that? Well, it's still yoga, but I go to the edge. In the edge, there's something new. And that I discovered, okay, I can do a series of these yoga classes themed after losing weight, for example. 14 days of your classes online themed after losing weight. Something I can't do at a studio. Because if I go to a studio, I have to teach one class at a time. But online, I can do a program of yoga classes to lose weight, to figure out how to mend a broken heart, to get another job, to get more money, to live a life of abundance. I can theme these programs, which is available online, not available in a yoga class. That's innovation. Wow. Got it? So how does that apply to making software? One of the things that I've learned from innovative people like Steve Jobs, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Graham Bell, like reading all these books, right? The one thing in common that they have 
is when they were stuck somewhere, as they did something completely different. And that's the way understanding the way the brain works. They did something completely different. Lululemon was created by a snowboarder who, who sold his snowboard company for millions of dollars, was bored, and decided to take yoga. And he invented the Lululemon pants from that. So why is, it that you, why is it that you create something different when you go to do something completely different, the 20% rule that, that Google has? Like if you do something completely different in your life, yoga, for example, software and yoga, totally different things, right? Mm -hmm. Well, from yoga, I learned these five practices, these five pillars. From these five pillars, we build a software that helps you focus on innovation. That's how it works. Right? Because my the problem I was trying to solve was innovation. When I went to yoga, I actually wanted to solve it again. I wanted to solve that problem again. It didn't go away. But then I started to study yoga and I saw the bridge between innovation and yoga. Ah, practice to be to innovate is to be here. Well, yoga is the practice of being here. How do I bring that practice of innovation into a software that helps people that don't do yoga? Right? Basically, innovate. So we made that into a software. How do you practice oh. mindset? We put that into a software. How do you build teams that are gonna have the right mindset? We put that into a software, all from yoga. Yeah. Got it? Brilliant. That that simple. Just do something completely different. And then from that, like your brain will create two paths, innovation, innovation, yoga, yoga, and then the solutions will jump in those two solutions and you'll find something totally unique. I love that so much, man. And for me, actually, as part of the, what comes through as an educator is that genius of school, right? And so traditionally we've been taught siloed education to children and thinking that's our best path forward. So they must learn so much math and they must learn so much science and so much English and so much social studies. And We'll move them along a conveyor belt and then we can stamp it and say, well, yeah, they're ready for life. And where the magic that I see you talking about is being able to take all of these different pieces, take all these different parts, take the yoga, take the software, take all of these unique life experiences. But the real magic is being able to pull a thread through all of those together into something that's meaningful, something that's different something that's a unique reflection of your own life and actually solves a problem or brings something of value to yourself and to those around you. And just as that part of the educator in me who was always pushed against the status quo and saying, well, we need to do better for our kids. Hearing you talk about this really just strikes on that same chord for me. I love it. Yeah. So there's a violin, a violinist, a violin player. Yeah. Yeah. And she went on America's Got Talent. And she was dancing and playing the violin at the same time. And our good friend, one of the favorite judges there, he said, you are doing both things badly. You should pick one and do that better. And then she got a zero, honked out of the thing. Well, you should see this girl. You should see this girl. She became a superstar because she focused on these two things that was unique to her. Now, she's not the best violin player. She's not the best dancer but she's the only one that's a violinist dancer. Yeah, and in that, there was magic. That's it. People ask me what jobs will be available for our young in the future. The jobs will be available for people that are present. 
That's as simple as that. The young people that are present, conscious and aware that are here and they can deal with what they have to do, like conscious and aware, they will be able to adapt faster than anybody else. If you're not here, if you're in reaction because somebody stole your job or there's no job that you like, or if you're not aware of your reaction to life, your attachment to this dream that you have that's not yours, or the pretense that you're someone that's better than everybody else, you will have trouble finding a job. The jobs will go to the people that have consciousness of presence and are say, I'm here and I can work. I can do that right. and they'll succeed. Because there is no order that can bring, that can beat the brain. Like probably a chess, right. but not playing a violin at dance because that's creativity. That's new. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. You're going to have to have somebody program that. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah. And in addition to that, I've heard time and time again in education as they're trying to prepare kids for the workforce, you know, 80 plus percent of the jobs of the future are not invented yet. And it's going to mm -hmm. be this different landscape. And so that lends itself to this world of opportunity and to creation. But in addition to that, we even think about jobs and think about employment. So much of what we do is just looking for the job posting, looking for the thing that's already created so that we can, well, I'll just fit my little square mold into this thing here. But there's something that within us longs to create, longs to express. And there's moments where that might be found at the right company in the right position, doing the right thing with the right people. But it also might be to be bold enough to take the risk to create something, to put ourselves out there, to have the capacity to do something that others aren't doing. And there's something magical about that. Am I living the life that society and my cultural conditioning or my parenting is projecting me to live? Or well, there's, there is. listen to that call, that whisper inside my soul and really leaning in and taking that risk and being vulnerable to put myself out there so that I can say, oh, I, I did it good. I I'm happy. I lived it well. <laughs> the way I kind of see this, and it, maybe there's a nuance there, but trying to change the outside world to match your reality, like you asked me that question the other day, right? It's a delusional fact of today. We're trying to change everybody's perception of what reality is, right? right? But adapting to the reality, that's the creation part. Mm -hmm. Accepting the reality of the world and then adapting to it by making it better or changing it a bit, changing what you're providing to it by being here. You're actually evolving as a human. So we all mm -hmm. crave to, like we live for moments, right? We barely remember our existence. We remember moments. Our job is to create moments. That's the long and the short of it. So why did I write the book? Because it was a moment for me. Every story is a moment. There's, I don't know, 188 stories in there. Every single story was a moment for me. And that was a creation for me. Like I recreated who I was. I saw myself differently after that story. Said, ah, the aha moment. Like, whoa. And you feel... I get it. I get something that I didn't get about myself before. That's what we live for. Instead of waiting for the perfect job or waiting for the perfect sunlight, like the sun rises up every day, no matter if it's cloudy or if it's not. Yeah. And we have to understand that it does. And there's moments in that cloud. There's moments in that rain. There's moments in the cold. There's moments in the sun. There's moments in everything. Creativity comes from 
the ability to take something, make something out of nothing, right? Something out of nothing. And when you think about that, is it that's money in a way, right? Money is creating something, money out of nothing. Your time, air, energy, you're creating, like we are born to evolve and to create. We're born to do that. And we get depressed when we're not allowed to, or we can't. But it's understanding that nobody's stopping you from being creative except yourself. Yeah. And the job of a coach like yourself, I think, or a teacher is to make people recognize that the only thing that stands in their way of having that next idea and that next thing, that next powerful realization of a moment is their own thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the truth. Getting out of our own way. I'm curious. Okay. You've primed us enough on the book here. I want to, I want to get dive in and get into the juicy parts of it. So why did you write this thing? Like why, what was your motivation here? We've talked about it off camera and I want to hear you share a little bit about where this came from, where this source of inspiration came from and why it was so much more moving and different than your initial book that you wrote. First of all, the first book that I wrote was all about me. My ego was hurt, how I was unjustly treated, how the world is unfair. All about the ego. Most of our thoughts are about us and how the world is unfair to us. How he did that or she did that to me. How dare he do that? We, that's our thoughts. We have our thoughts, right? It's always about us. Always, always. Even when we give something away, here's a dollar or a tip, right? We think we're kind, making it about them. We give them a gift. It's about Oh, I feel good when I do it. Or I want something in return. Always about us. This book is about my discovery that it's all about me. Right? And how humbling that is. That life is not all about me. The world not like, you know, go around me. So it's basically a series of discovery of how I got out of a mess that I had created. Yeah. Why I created that mess. The understanding of why I created that mess. Like I wasn't the only one. I was part of that balance of dancing with another person or a few more people that created that mess. So understanding that I wrote that book for me. That's what I wrote. These are my journal entries that I wrote for me. So I could understand that I don't want to live that life anymore. I don't want to live the life I lived yesterday. I want to live a new life today. I don't want to live the same life I lived a year ago. I want to live a new life, right? So I wrote this book for me, mostly, and I wrote for my kids, I wrote for my friends, so that I could share the path, right? And that path may or may not be your path. I understand that too. But maybe I'll provide some insight for you to discover your own path. So that's why I wrote the book. I would typically read about 50 to 100 books a year. And this year, the only book I've read is this one, 50 to 100 times. Yeah. And I still like it. <laughs> Well, so the title of the book is called, it's called the op-ed of, of leadership. Yeah. And the word op-ed comes from 21 editorial that was written in when they first published newspapers and opposite the editorial, they had a space there for the opposite way to see something for oppositions. So it's called the opposite of leadership because I see leadership totally different than what most conventional people would see leadership is. So that's what the nugget is. But what is leadership? Well, you're leading your life. It doesn't matter if you're leading a hundred people, a thousand people, or you're just leading your life, you're a leader. And the opposite of leadership is leading your life in a way 
and leading other people in a way that is not in conflict with who you are as a human. You're not in dis-ease of who you are. You're at ease with leading, meaning that it's natural and authentic. This is a way to discover what your authentic leadership skill is. We look at people that we put on pedestals, right? I did that for a long time. I put people that I went to motivational speaker, I put them on pedestal. I want to be like him. I want to be like her, right? Even my yoga teacher, I want to be like him. Oh my God, what a guru, right? But I, when I understand that, it's like they have some traits that I like, but not all traits that I like. I found out later on that they weren't the perfect person. Golly, like they had problems. Well, every human on this planet is not perfect. There's not one perfect human. So we're trying to put traits as a leader. I say, well, a leader should be, like it used to be like a leader is this. You become stoic, comes from the old English language. You become, you dress this way, you behave this way, you do these things. Yeah, this is not a book about that. This is how to find your authentic self so you could leave your life and other people as well. Because when you become authentic, you're automatically going to get followers. Automatically. Because there's an attraction to that authenticity. It's like the difference between a popular song and one that's not. It's authentic. It's real. It's got energy. It's got emotion. It's got, okay, there's something about that that makes a difference. And that's what the book is about. Finding your authentic self. And I share my discovery of the last 15 years of that. Wow. I think we're at a time where we need leaders who are expressing themselves authentically more than ever, because as you said, um, there seems to be more and more problems that are bubbling up to the surface, be it the COVID issue that we had or the environmental stuff or geopolitics and war, you know, there's some big overlapping issues that are coming up at a global level, at a national level, at a local level. And. A lot of the times it seems the way that we're trying to address these things are with top-down measures and forcing people into these things and fixing and problem solving. And really I've come to the conclusion over this last while in particular that change comes from inspiration, not from mandates or top-down coercion. And as you just said, what really hit me hard there is being that authentic self. I think there's nothing to me that's more inspiring than observing somebody in their authentic expression. I don't even necessarily need to have the same uh, likes and dislikes or motivations and passions, but it's when I see that fire of somebody who's courageous and believing in what they do and doing it to genuinely be of service to something bigger than themselves, leading from their heart, that lights me up and that lights a fire in me. And I think we are at a point with society and our local environments and our global level that we need authentic leadership more than ever, as much as ever. Yeah. And they're going to pop, they're there. They're going to pop up. Yeah. They're going to pop up again. Like if you look at what is the difference between a religion and science, you know, the difference sometimes not much. <laughs> yeah. So the difference between religion and science is religion is based on a belief that you can never prove, but it, you'll always think is right. Yeah. And science is based on something that you can prove, but you can also prove that it's wrong. So you change the outcome. The science is always based on the reality, what's happening today. Okay. That may be true today. Won't be true tomorrow. Right. Whereas beliefs, I believe I'm right is a religion. So 
what you have today, you have a bunch of leaders that believe they're right. And if you look at what happened with all corruptions in there, like all corrupted system in there and all system become corrupted because there's a belief that they're right. If you think you're right and you're the only one that's right, it will lead to corruption. It will lead right. to bad things happening. No doubt about it. So yeah. the fundamental pr principle of authentic leadership is understanding, like, I am a hard time figure out how I'm reacting. I don't know how you're reacting. So for me to put you in a box and say you're such and such a person, you're acting such this way, or you behave this way, you're this person, is ludicrous. And then to project that into saying, well, the world is behaving this way and I can control that way, this way, well, you can't. You may be able to grow a potato, but okay, that's the extent of what you could do other than that. I mean, you know what I mean? Like if you started like saying all the world would be fed by potatoes, pretty soon we'll die. Yeah. Because the world mm -hmm. is balanced, whether we want it or not. Like every time we put something and the human kind starts to say, well, this is the way it should work. Mother nature and the environment and the world teaches us something different. That's the difference between authentic self, authentic leadership. It's understanding that we are nothing. When I die, in less than a year, very few people will remember who I am. Even if I put my name on a building, they will not, right? Mm. Yeah. Billions of people have died and nobody remembers. And to think that we can change the world that way is ludicrous. Mm. We don't have that much power. There was a study done that I think there was like, what was it about the humans? Like if you just, we had no more humans on the planet for like, I don't know, how many days would it take to come back to natural? And it's like, you're talking in less than a couple of years. Like, we'd be back. We're the scavengers here, right? Do you know that? We're the oh. parasite. And in trying to control everybody else, we, we're eating ourselves. That's what we're doing. So there are authentic leaders that are humble enough to say that I don't have the answer but I'm willing right. to go discover it with you. Let's go discover mm -hmm. something. Let's go do something different, right? There are a lot of leaders like that, but a lot of leaders are, I know the answer. You should do it my way. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. But what if there was no right or wrong? What if there was no bad or good? What if there's just a construct of the brain? I love that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, you know, even science, again, that merger between science and religion can get really thin because when anything that's a dogmatic approach, anything that is, this is how it is, and this is what we must believe, we must follow this thing. Well, when all of a sudden critical thought and a degree of emotional intelligence is gone from that and something becomes absolute, anything can become corrupted. Science is a process, right? And when science becomes used as a way to say, follow the science or follow this thing absolutely as a scientist myself saying, well, there's a methodology here and there's an ongoing testing of hypothesis. And the entire basis of science is that we're never actually f arriving at any finality into anything. The best we can do is get some really strong theories and can still continue to test those things out. I mean, hundreds of years after all of these different understandings of the world come, all of a sudden we come into quantum physics and it brings us back ancient Eastern mystic kind of understanding of the world. And so we, we must even bring our humility as we're using these things and beware of any time anything is sold to us with a, a significant degree of certainty that we must submit to this in a dogmatic way. Always highly skeptical.
I, I totally agree. If you look at quantum physics and the slit, the double slit experiment, for example, yes. where they've proven that the observation of the energy affects the energy. So if you come into an experiment with an observation, a point of view, in other words, a belief, you're affecting the outcome of that innovation. You're basically dictating the outcome of that innovation. It's like you have, it's not innovating. Actually, you're creating the outcome that you want. There's a whole wave. So you're collapsing the wave from a quantum physics point of view. You're collapsing the wave into one point, one thing, because you're the observer. So the whole mm -hmm. practice of yoga is to not be the observer. Like let go of the thought, have a thought and mm -hmm. let it go. Critical thinking is, yeah, I have a thought about this. Oh, okay. That's one possibility. But what if you had a thousand possibilities in an instant? That's how powerful the brain is. So if you can just mm -hmm. let go of the thought one at a time, I have a thought, oh, I'm reacting. That guy's an idiot. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's just unhappy. Oh, maybe his wife is after him. Maybe he doesn't have any money. You can have a thousand of these thoughts in a second. So you just go through them. At least you'll have a choice in life. At least you have a choice. And this practice has served me so well. So like I, so well. You want to get out of financial debt. You want to innovate. You want to find a job. You want to find a good spice. Start by looking at your thoughts and give yourself yeah. some options. Because if the only option is the person in front of you is bad, that's the only option you have. If the only option is like, this is the solution to the problem we're trying to fix. Well, that's the only solution you have. But if you have all these possible solutions, right? Like you take a step, what's to discover? You take a step, mm -hmm. what's to discover? Small steps, small steps, mm -hmm. right? Great books to read on that. Black Swan, predicting of outcomes, probabilities. We're terrible, terrible predictors of outcomes. And we make ourselves delusional thinking, oh, I succeeded. I worked so hard. I deserve this. But you discount how many times you fail. And then you say, oh, it's because of persistence. No, it's because you were lucky. You were lucky. You were just at the right time, the right place. If you're a woman trying to run a business a hundred years ago, you'd be dead. They'd hang you. You're just at the right time at the right place. You see what I mean? So how do you increase your luck? Give yourself some choices. Look at the thoughts that you're having and say, well, that's one thought. Don't make something out of the thought, write it down. Have another thought about that same situation. Stay there until you have a hundred different thoughts, a hundred different possibilities of what could this mean? At least you'll have a choice. Yeah. Mm. Wow. But right now we're running our lives without choices. It's not a choice. You don't have a choice in your life because you're reacting to the first thought that you have. And that's mm -hmm. not innovation. And that's why like mental illness exists. Because in that state of having no choice, you're not evolving. And Darwin said this, you're, the, you're either evolving or dying. So when you're not evolving, when you don't have a choice in your life and you're following the path of your first thought, thought that you have, you create dis-ease inside your body. You become diseased, right? You're not at ease with who you are. You're not authentic because you have no choices and you have no freedom. And then you start taking out on other people. That person's wrong. That person's wrong. Political parties are wrong. You're wrong. Your ideas are wrong. Your beliefs are wrong. Right? So you become diseased. That created a disease inside of us, which is the problem we're facing today with mental and those chronic diseases and et cetera. All created from having no choice in your life. Yeah. Wow. It's the truth. And we are perpetuating that. You could even think of anything, just being a father yourself and thinking, well, I must go to work and I must do these things and I have no choice. 
happens when all of a sudden these things start to become choiceless. We become the victim in our lives. And yeah, how do you grab the reins? How do you grab the wheel when you're the victim? And yeah. so much of us culturally, it seems like life happens to us rather than through us, rather than us being the vehicle in which existence and that creative void, that pregnant void, the source can move through us, through this magic body. It can't claim to understand how any of this works. And I used to try and yeah. rout out all the time. What happens when I die? What is consciousness? What are all these things? And I got all this chicken scratch, in my old journals. And, you know, it's like, oh, screw it. Like, I am never going to know. But what I do know is that I'm alive. And this is a miracle that I'm here. And so how I show up and how I choose to show up in each moment with the people that I love and those around me that come into my world, well, that's important. That's what matters. And that's all I really have that full choice of is what I choose to do in this moment. I don't need yeah. to use my brain to figure out and project anything into the future. What I need to do is bring myself back, bring my thoughts, that hamster wheel of thoughts back into this moment and bring it into partnership with my heart, in partnership with my body, to be able to move that forward into a way that's constructive and can lead to that more beautiful world that my heart and your heart and our hearts know is possible. Yeah. Well, that's exactly true. You got it right there. I went through the same thing, trying to figure out the meaning of life and trying to figure out how does this all work? You're looking for <laughs> dying to know the answer. Part of leadership is understanding that you're okay without the answer because you don't know mm -hmm. it anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're better off not having the answer and being in discovery of a possibility than understanding that you know the answer. If you truly know the answer, you're going to heaven or hell. You're going to do this. If you don't do this, you'll do this. You're going to live in misery yeah. the rest of your life because you won't be living. And you're at, like what you said there, like really resonate with me when you said, I don't know the answer, but I know I'm alive. Yeah. yeah, that's it right there. And let's not waste a second of it. Not a minute, not a breath of it to kind of conjure up these like victimhood mentality we have. And because I was that, that's what brought me to. Like he's wrong. I'm suing him 10 years down the road, wasted 10 years to discover the fact that I already had everything I needed. I'm alive. And from this, everything, from this situation, from this point, everything is possible. Everything is possible. Yeah. Wow. But from a point of victimhood, I deserve it. Yeah, no. Typically you'll get the opposite. You'll get the opposite of what you want. Yeah, typically. Very likely. That's a, that's a quantum entanglement that was all, that's the one they lot, they won the Nobel Prize for. Yeah. Quantum entanglement. Basically saying, you don't get what you want, you get what you are. Right. Yeah. Because you're entangled with what you are. So you're trying to, you're trying to like, reprogram yourself by saying, I'm, I want this, I, I want to be this, but you don't believe what you are. You haven't resolved the issue that you have a belief of what you are. So you're entangled with that. Everything you attract in your life is a representation of what you are. Yeah. Clear. Which is the opposite of what you want. You want to become your father. So you become your father. <laughs> Unconsciously, it's like attracting that. I remember reading a book yeah. back when I was traveling through India called The Tao of Physics by Fritjof Capra. And that blew my mind because it was talking about how relativity and quantum physics and all of these new studies of science that are emerging are actually bringing us back to Eastern mysticism. 
that Buddha sitting back in meditation and yeah. these vibrating kalapas. <laughs> oh yeah, that's really what we call atoms today. And this idea of entanglement and all of these things of the laws of the yeah. act and the quantum entanglement. It's funny, you know, it's like now that it's rooted in science, it's better, but we underestimated the tools and abilities that these cultures and civilizations have had for millennia to be able to understand the actual nature of the universe and to be able to share these things through really profound and practical teachings. And I'm just happy that we're able to revisit that with science and ground it down even into our Western mode of understanding and bring us back to these deeper ways of knowing and ways of being that can bring us more into harmony with the way the universe actually works. Yeah, I, it's it kind of funny when I say things like, you're absolutely right. If you could do it back 2000 years ago, right? And a lot of like smart people were in there, and, like even more so like the gurus are even back, even 2000 years ago. So what happens when every time, and this is why I think we live in a great time right now, because every time the empire kind of grows up, there comes a time when the Maslow hierarchy of needs, have you seen that pyramid? Oh, so yeah. when you get your needs of life satisfied, then you get to a consciousness state. Yeah. And in that consciousness state, miracles happen. So it happens in the Roman time. It happened during Sadaka, Plato, all these people, the gurus. It happened during these times that they discovered something. So some of these things that are coming into our lives today are being proven by science that was said 2000 years ago, right? Like Sanaka said, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah, right. Like the problem is not them, it's you. They understood that and not realizing what that means, right? Like how the body recreates itself with like the intelligent genes kind of concept, right? And so now with science, we're starting to understand how the brain works, how the body works a little bit more, the chemical in your body. If you're in cortisol, always in fear, you're going to get disease. Okay. So they knew this 4,000 years ago when they practiced meditation, right? They knew this. So we're starting to understand this a lot more and it's making a lot more sense. So that's why authentic leadership is coming up because we're at that Maslow hierarchy needs here in, in North America, meaning that people are like looking at the top of the appearance and I don't want to work for a living. I want to do something meaningful for a living. That's where people are. They want to look at something meaningful. I want to follow my heart. I want to do something that has a passion, right? And inside of that, there's amazing things that are going to happen. Because people are not doing it during the living. They're doing it to become something different. The difference between what happened in the Roman times is at that peak, the whole empire collapsed. And it may look like the whole empire is going to collapse, but I don't think it is. I think what's going to happen is an awakening because we're now all connected through these mm -hmm. things, right? And so the awakening is not in one country or another, it's global. And so because we're all connected, there's a consciousness of connection happening that never happened before because of these devices that we have. So I think there's something that's going to happen on the consciousness level, like being authentic leadership level, that's going to happen in the next, I don't know, 10 to 15 years that we've never seen before. Yeah. And we so we live in a very exciting times. I know a lot of people are struggling. I know that and the struggle is real. I also know there's a lot of people fighting and the fighting is real. I know that too, but all transformation happens at this, just triple times in all times of life. But yeah, it's an exciting time to say that 
oh, breathing is good because of this, right? Or like sound is good. You know, look at just like uh, oming, like their whole why oming is good. They have science on that. But now they've traced it back to the pyramids. All the frequencies of oming, R-O-M, are connected to the chakras. And the three chakras have a resonant frequency that we understand how that works and why that's powerful for the body and why that's healing. There's so many things happening. I'm really excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredible time to be alive. And one thing that gets me excited as I hear you talk, you know, because certainly there's times where my mind drifts into wondering about where we are geopolitically and all of these different things. But one thing that I love, because I don't often have faith in centralized governments, because I can see that they're easily influenced by corporate powers and those who might have a desire to push their own agenda. But what I do have deeply is trust in people. And I have deep faith in individuals. And what I see, as you referenced your phone and that piece of technology, is there's a decentralized revolution happening. There's people that are able to yeah. reclaim, step back into their power and leverage these resources that we have at a global level to organize and to come together and to share our experiences and figure things out for our way that really allows people to live their lives in a way that's meaningful to them and tap into the knowledge and the resources that they could have just with the push of a button now. And I think that's just such a, an exciting opportunity for us to be able to decentralize and work together at the communal level and at our global community level in ways that really put flip the pyramid on its head and empower, you know, the everyday person to be that leader and to be that voice and to share their experiences, just like you've been doing. The individual has never had so much power, never. Mm -hmm. And the government has never had so few. Yeah. And so right now, if you just look at working from home, like if you're trying to pull people working to the office, you're going to have trouble getting people because people are saying, I want to work for it, not from home, from anywhere in the world. These borders that we've made up, these countries, they're getting done. Pretty soon there'll be no borders because that's the world we're living in today. People are saying, I want to work from Costa Rica and I'll find a job that pays me more than you're paying me, by the way, right? That's the world we're living in today. And that's totally. happening. The shift is real and it's happening. And you can ignore it and try to form this like, okay, no, you got to come back to the old way of doing things. You got to come back to the office or you got to do it my way. Yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. That world is done. Yeah. That world of like government control or corporate control. Yeah, that world is done. You can buy a villa in Italy for a dollar as long as you have a job. Wow. <laughs> and you get Italian citizenship, right? So what's going to happen is people are saying, well, come and live here, right? And work from here because the digital age allows you to do a lot of things from wherever you are. You can run your business from wherever you are. Well, my whole business is on this. It's on the phone. We have an office, but nobody's at the office and there's nothing there. We're strong because we're connected. And it's not because we're in the same office. It's because we're connected. And we care about each other and we value each other and you want people to input and we all, we share it, right? But if there's no sharing and there's no trust, well, there's no community and there's no community, then the borders won't hold it. The, the building won't hold it. The countries won't hold it. 
you got to let go of this whole concept. Oh, that the government, like, do you think the government is controlling this? No. <laughs> no, that game is done. Yeah. In my book, I can't see it. I can't see it going back because for the same reason, why would I go back to driving? Like my daughter drives, she used to drive to work for three hours, two and a half hours to, to get to work. She's not going to do that again. No, no. Why would she do that? Right. You've tasted the forbidden, forbidden fruit of being free. And, and this <laughs> is the world we're living in today. So, and the government, yeah, they tax you and they do this, but I think they're going to have to, they're going to have to have a unified global government because it doesn't work. Yeah. It's exciting That's, times, man. I'm loving it. <laughs> like you look at how, like our little city mountain here, look at how it's shifted so fast in less than a year. Housing, mm. cost, uh, everything. We're tied to the world economy, not to New Brunswick economy. No matter what a government does, they can't control that. Mm -hmm. I think the more that we embrace consciousness, individualism in the government, outside the government, everywhere around, the more we'll be free and the more we'll evolve as a human species because we haven't evolved in 2000 years. We're still using the same quotes that 2000 years ago were being used. We have not evolved as a human species. We've built things, but we haven't evolved. It's time to evolve, to becoming more conscious. And that's the revolution that's going on, in my opinion. Yeah. As we start to move into wrapping things up, I'm curious, talking about, you know, you're a man who's very experienced in reflection and trying to be more and more authentic and being a leader and redefining what leadership means and thinking deeply on these things and acting on those thoughts. Like, do you have any tips around authentic expression and leadership and any tools somebody could use to figure out what their authentic expression is? And how do we become more of an authentic version of ourselves? I'm going to say, start by telling the truth. So, and not by telling the truth of what you see. That's not the truth. The truth is not what you see. The truth is what you experience. Like say, I've discovered this about myself. All right. So an example of that would be my wife approached me the other day and she wanted to have a discussion about financial situation. And she said something that was truly uncomfortable for her to say. And I had a reaction because I was tired. I sat in that and I said, okay, I'm having a reaction. That's the truth. So. Authentic leadership starts from telling the truth. I have a reaction to that. I'm a, I have a trigger. I have an attachment to that car. I think on my car. Like, why don't you just admit that you think you're your car or you think you're your house or you think you're your, I think on my title. If you start by saying, I think I'm delusional because I think my, I actually believe I'm more important than most people because I have a CEO title, right? Like that. If you start saying that, that's the beginning of your authenticity. And sure. that's the beginning of getting rid of your disease that lives inside of you. Because you're not at ease with being your car or your title or your personality or your shoes or whatever you're wearing or whatever you have. That's not at ease with who you are. It's a dis-ease with who you are. Yeah. Sure. That would be my first thing. <laughs> and people that tell me that, 
Like I, we're instant connected. It's instantly connected. I love it. Shed the labels. It uh, reminds me of a quote. It's like, no self, no problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of, you, you got to lose yourself to find yourself. Only once we shed all self-definition yeah. can we figure out yeah. who we truly are. It's true though. Yeah. Yeah. Like the word personality comes from putting on a mask and pretending you're someone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's not who you are. Not at all. And what if you could change it? Wouldn't that be empowering? If you can change your personality from being, you know, I don't know, an extrovert to an introvert, an introvert to an extrovert, an ADHD to not ADHD. What if you could change all of that? I think you can. And I believe I did. I think I can change my personality. And I think I did. And I think we can all have that power. And what if you could change it instantly? Becoming the person that we need to become on the moment, right? That would be the ultimate true self. Because I think we have that power to be here and to just change as we need to. Because mm -hmm. we begin to explore the possibilities of, you know, the empowerment that you have inside of you. Like the biggest chemical plant in the world is inside your body your brain. Why can't we feel high when we want to feel high, feel joyful and happy and feel empowered anywhere? Wouldn't that be the ultimate leader? Yeah. Power to do that. And then from that energy, you can create anything. It's possible from that energy. Innovation, creation, whatever, teaching, coaching, whatever you want to become. Again, it's telling the truth. If you look at the most popular songs, they're usually telling the truth. Yeah. Something. Yeah, it makes me think of Joe Dispenza's work. And again, this merger between a lot of ancient philosophy and this understanding of what you're sharing to the neuroscience that is backing this now. Like you are the placebo. Oh, you want to rearrange your mind? Yeah. You, you want to reprogram your body? Your body? You want to feel younger? You want to be younger? You want to do these things? Like you want to reprogram this disease in your body? neurologically, scientifically now, we have evidence that this is possible. And not only possible, it's happening all over the place, time and time and time again. And so we're in this psychological revolution, our understanding of who we are and what we can be, our potential and possibility. We're at the frontiers of, of a new world in that exciting times. We totally are. And where does it start? It just, it starts with just understanding that you can actually be in control of your thoughts, right? Yeah. In control of your mind, your body. And it starts by telling the truth. Yeah. Because when you give up the truth, like giving up what you must, which is giving up what you're afraid of, what you're afraid to say, when you give up those stories, you're empowering yourself. Like you're not losing yeah. any power. You're giving up that story. So you actually are liberating that cage that you've put yourself in. Mm. That's empowerment. And that's what Joe Dispenza was talking about. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Start by telling the truth. It's, <laughs> it's a confronting thing, Eves. <laughs> I have a lot of people squirming in their chairs as you're listening to this. <laughs> so if anybody is li like, whoever well, is listening, book, there's a lot of truth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I look forward to reading and speaking of which, 
anybody who wants to read the book or check out more with what you're doing at Doveco and learn more about the apps and how you're helping to revolutionize business with software, where can people find the book? Where can people get in touch with you? And I'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. So just a brief touch on that and I'll put the actual handles and all of that information in the show notes for people. Well, I'm on social media, so they can reach on any social media you've just said, like Facebook or any social media, except Twitter. I'm not on Twitter for some reason. So you can reach out at dovaco.com or evedusset.com. Those are the two places you could find like most and just ask anyone those, where can I find the book? What kind of tools you have to build conscious leaderships or conscious teams or like we're in the business of building tool processes and coaching to help complement it with coaching to help help key work places. Much like you are doing with your coaching, your programs, that's what we're doing. We're adding it all with software because that's mainly what we do. And then we associate ourselves with coaches like you to help us deliver these tools. So showup.io is one of those tools. Team set's another one. And we're changing the whole way that we're managing companies, the whole way. So showup.io helps build a listening. So it's a tool to practice listening. It's really changed Ovaco in a really beautiful way. We have more authentic, truthful conversations. And TeamSet is a tool that helps collaboration of teammates. And then we monitor who actually works better together, right? And who collaborates by looking at kudos and acknowledgements and values. And then when that, we can build teams that work better together, ensuring people are more meaningful and deliver better products. So we do that with AI and yeah. So there's a whole slew of like different resources to, to numerous to say, but evedusset.com or dovaco.com. Okay. D-O-V-I-C-O.com. Or just we'll reach out sure. to Yeah. We'll make sure to link all of that for anybody who's interested in getting in touch with you personally or learning more about all of these things. And is there any last message? We've talked a, a, on a lot of topics here, Eve. But is there any last kind of thoughts that you'd like to leave listeners with as we sign off for round one, at least? <laughs> There's a, I love this little saying by Scotiabank, you're richer than you think. Heard that? You're oh, richer yeah. than you think? Yeah. Yes. So you're richer than you think. Yeah. Okay. If we could just get away from the thought, like all the richness that we want, it's inside of us. We have the possibility to create we have the possibility to grow. We have the possibility to learn. And you have the tool, like the human brain, the human body is capable of miracles, right? All we have to do is learn how to use these things that we have. And unfortunately, there's no tools and there's no books to this. Sorry, there are tools. There's no books that you can read and say, oh, that's the way the brain works. And that's the way the body works. No, you're going to have to do things and figure it out. But you have the possibility to do that. You have the possibility inside of you to figure out who you are and get everything that you really deserve out of life. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Stu Murray Podcast. Check out the Stu Murray Podcast available on all streaming platforms and leave a comment or a review. Let me know if this episode resonated with you and what you want to hear more of as we move forward in the future. Thank you so much. 
and I'll see you next Monday.